Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Uh, let's just pray and get right into it, okay? Praise God forever. Father, again, I'm asking you um, sincerely from my heart, like you spoke to me even this morning, please help me help us to actually hear, I mean really hear, our inner man, our inner man, our spirit man. Help us to actually hear and dare to believe what Jesus Christ did, what Jesus actually did, and what is now ours how you see things from heaven. Father, I'm really trusting Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you're the only one that can throw light on things, illuminate, cause it to suddenly flash with light so that we, your people, actually all of us, we suddenly see it. We we see it. Father, I just desperately want us to go from, go much further than just looking at text on a piece of paper to the absolute life that is within these statements that if we believe them, you've ordained them, you've ordained them to change us from this place to a whole other realm, literally to change the way we think, the way we live, the way we go about everything that's, that happens, Father. It's just a whole other world. So, God, please help me somehow in Jesus' name. Grant me words. Again, be with my mouth. Touch my lips. Take an altar off that fire. <clears throat> really, touch all our lips. Touch all our lips, Father. Cleanse our conversation and cause us to walk in the light of what Jesus Christ has paid for. Truly, Lord, if no one else does, Father, let us do it so that it might become infectious and so that we might be contagious with the life of Christ, with the love of God, truly with the love, the love of God uh, that just (laughs) turns everything around, turns everything around. So I give you thanks for it this morning, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, um, this morning, I, I shed a lot of tears this morning just because I got it. I always see, I feel like I have to qualify what I'm going to say so often. And I'm always praying that it doesn't come across as false humility or anything else. But as I was uh, uh, reading this morning again, just going through my devotions, we had Friday and Saturday where we taught all day, and I really didn't have the opportunity like I normally do to really prepare as it were really, you know, what am I going to, what do you want me to do on Sunday? But um, I I began to cry a bit this morning because I just began to, just in my reading, I just started reading again through Romans and got all the way to Ephesians. And I just, I just stopped and I said, Father God, how, how, you know, what you're doing in me by this grace, you know, because of my, you know, because this is my vocation, it is my ministry, it is something, you know, I'm called to as a pastor, like Julie and I both. I, by God's grace, I have the time. This is my job. My 
my assignment is to be in the book, do you understand, in behalf of the people because I've read too much about how God holds or shepherds the responsibility that we carry before him when we stand before you. So, anyhow, I have the honor and the grace God's provided the time where I can be in the book four and five hours every morning. But I'm telling you, it's ripping me to bits. <laughs> it is wonderfully doing so. But what I'm trying to spit out is I started to cry this morning because I said, Father, there's no, I have no way. I don't have the tools. How, how can all of us somehow help people go from nominal, now don't get anybody condemned, but how, with what you're showing me, with what I'm seeing that's available for anyone to see, but the strength, it's so potent, it's so strong, it's, it's impacting me so deeply. I said, how can you, please, I'm just please help, Julie and I, how can we help people go from just, quote, unquote, people who attend a church, people who have membership, people who are nominal Christians that don't really have a lot to do with God during the week, but, you know, they're faithful to come on Sundays. <clears throat> how, how, how can we help them to actually develop into the depth of what you've actually done? And it's because, you know, I just keep seeing, like you've heard me say of late, but think about, you know, that our, the one we worship lives outside of time and space. I mean, I, I, his immensity is something that is an understanding is I will never understand it on this side. However, you know, I, I, the, the, the understanding he is allowing me of his immensity is just overwhelming me about how big and how huge and gigantic and he's way out here. And like I said, we're this little bitty speck of dust down here and he's gigantically, enormously, wonderfully, but all of whoever he is, all of him is this stuff called love. And you go, oh. love created everything. Love's the author of life. Love, it, love created everything. They love, love, love created everything, everything, everything. All of his words, love authored this book. Love wrote these words. That's why you, if you, you can't interpret scripture correctly if you don't see it through his love, not, not our ooey-gooey stuff. This is kind of what we taught on the last two days. The moment I say those four letters, L-O-V-E, you know, we all see whatever we see. You might see ooey-gooey, you know, some romantic comedy with your favorite good-looking male lead, you know, you girls. <laughs> or whatever, but I mean you. But God, when you talk about God and talk about his, you're talking about strength. There's no ooey-gooey. His, his love is strong, forceful, mighty, delivering, happy, full of joy, but powerful. And, you know, we've got to see that everything behind this word is him. He's the author. It's like anything. You know, it's a wonderful thing to read somebody's book, but, like, we have these close friends that are really well-known authors across the world, except here. <laughs> but, I mean, Brock and Bodie Taney that wrote tons of their They've got all these gigantic medallion awards, uh, platinum awards for all the books they've written over the years, Christian books. And uh, it's an incredible thing to read them. But, you know, we know the authors. They're friends of ours. 
And that's what it's all about. The books mean more when you know the author. <laughs> so, of course, what I'm saying here is here we have a book, but actually the author desperately wants to get to know us. The author wants us to know him so we can actually find what his heart was trying to communicate when we read his book, okay? But anyhow, this morning, I just, so this is just some of my devotions this morning. But I want to go, go to Romans 4. And when I got to Romans 4, I guess it was like 6.30 this morning, something like that. But um, I just want to do some expository teaching. I'm going to read some stuff through Romans 4. And I have no idea, but I, I, I really hope I can get to Ephesians 1 and 2. I mean, you know, you could stay in Romans. I would stay in the book of Romans and Ephesians all my life. If I had no other books, I would stay right there. But I was just reading along here. And, you know, uh, well, okay, i got to back up. Romans, put up Romans 3.24. Romans 3.24, if they're on here. Let's start there. You know, I'm reading about this basic, the truth. It's not a basic truth because most of us, we, I, I would say that the majority of people in Christ still don't know this. They don't know, they do not know this. Well, actually, you know, forgive me. I've got to back up to verse 22. See, this is the trouble. You've got to preach the whole book. Verse 22. Nope, verse 21. <laughs> he, Paul is sharing this to the church at Rome of what, what's really happened. Romans 1, he great, gives us a gigantic list of all the sin that mankind's caught up in. And he's talking about how, you know, that everybody's been caught up in this and what have you like that. But he's building towards the plan of what God has done through Christ, of course. And he's talking about the whole issue of, of um, these people. They have no way. They don't. It says in verse 17, they have no experience of the way of peace. They don't know anything about peace. And Paul's trying to get them to the point of they don't understand what God's really done. Verse 20 is where he said, for no person's going to be justified. Nobody's going to be made righteous or acquitted. In, his, in God's side by observing works. Now, I mean, even that statement, please, you and I actually have to catch this. Nobody will be justified before Almighty God because of how good he lives. How good you live does not make you a Christian. Uh, no, you really got to hear that. You know, it's just, uh, forgive me, I know I'd nod my head too, but it's got to be deeper than not. Nobody will be just before God because he lives so perfect, because he's such a good good little boy, good little girl. Nobody. That's what Paul says here. Then verse 21, he says, but now what's happened is the righteousness of God. Now remember, righteousness means right standing, to have right standing with somebody, right? Everything's okay between us, right standing. Paul says, but now <clears throat> what's happened is that the righteousness of God has been revealed uh, independently, altogether apart from the law, because, again, all the Jews, the whole premise is that the Jews still live according to the law a lot. I mean, most of, they, still think that, they still think that being righteous means obeying. Listen, they still think being righteous means obeying. People still think that being righteous means obeying. And obeying now has nothing to do with being righteous. Now, don't panic, like I said, because this is what blows my mind. When you begin to truly begin to, to see the goodness of is God, can God be, is he this good? 
Is it really, is this really true? I mean, is it really true what you have done? But then he goes on and he said, <clears throat> but now the righteousness of God has been revealed independently and altogether apart from the law. He said, though it was attested by the law and the prophets. Verse 22, and he said, namely, it's, we're talking, I'm talking about the righteousness, the right standing of God, which comes how? Which comes by believing with a personal trust and a confident reliance on Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Right standing with God right now comes by believing what Jesus did, not by works, not by being good. Now, just trust me because I'm going someplace here. It's going to lead up something. But I'm just asking you, I see, like I keep praying, Father, how, what can I do? Help me, give me more tools. But, I, but then he actually he rebuked me when I said that. He said, no, he said, you deliver the word. My spirit causes the penetration. So I'm, I'm just trusting him for just that. But he said, name, he said, but the righteousness of God, verse 22, it comes by believing. God never asked us to work now. He asked us to believe now. Remember, even when they asked Jesus, what shall I do? He said, this is the work that you believe. This is the work. The work today is belief. But see, that sounds too simple. Definitely sounds too simple for the educated mind. Because again, you've heard me say this many times, we've been trained through school, through university, through whatever, to intellectually, logistically reason and come up with a solution. We, everything has to fit. You know what I mean? We have to work things out through equations so that we can see that this fits. I understand. I understand. You can't understand Almighty God with your brain. Trust me, I've tried. <laughs> He's bigger than my brain. What happens is, again, this is why God's wisdom is revealed more than taught. Right? What God has done is revealed by his spirit. This is why we learn to, like he said, above all things, have communion with the Holy Spirit. We commune with him and we just keep exposing ourselves to his spirit by exposing ourselves to this word. And this stuff begins to get, it begins to be revealed who you are. It's revealed. And see, it's, I thought this for so long because, again, God gave me this quick mind. And I, under, I began to understand the teaching. And because I could see the teaching of it, I felt kind of satisfied and that I had understanding of the teaching of it. But I was bound to that arena, I had, and I, it wasn't until years went by that I understood that the Christianity isn't knowing the teaching. It's not knowing the information. It is knowing him. He's trying to get us to his presence, to him. But the stuff you have, but the stuff he begins to show, what, this is Paul, I mean, this is what I mean, when you actually read, remember Paul was a guy caught up into the third heaven, and, and he said that he was taught by direct revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ unfolded the mystery of the plan. Paul uses that statement often. If I get to Ephesians, you'll see it. He said, it was given unto me to proclaim the plan, of what, the plan and what God's purpose was in this great plan to bring the Gentiles into the same 
promise that the Jews lived in, but much, much more. But anyhow, verse 22, he said, namely the righteousness of God, which comes by believing. And it's meant for all who believe. There's no distinction. And it, actually, it's a comma. Then we go to this verse, 23, since there's no distinction, he says, because all have sinned and all have fallen short of the honor and the glory which God bestows and receives. Now, I've, I've shared this before, but I remember when I was back at the Bible training school I was at years ago, there's always somebody who's self-righteous and thinks they know everything. This guy, was he was... He was he, all, he felt he was really being a minister. So he used to write scriptures down and go out and put them on the windshield of your car if you had a car or wherever. Stuff. So we'd come out sometimes. We'd see this thing plastered in here. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, like it's really supposed to build you up. You know? But the thing is, <clears throat> people that have quoted that for they quoted it out of context because, we, you know, you have to read the next verse. Paul says in verse 23, since all have sinned, and fallen short of the honor and glory that God bestows, all are justified and are made upright. You've got to keep here and see, you're, it's not that you've earned it. It's not that you've worked for it. This is a, when you accepted Christ, he made you something. I said he made. You never will earn it. Like the song says, you never will deserve it. But this... We're trying to God. see Romans 2 says we have to understand it's the goodness of God that causes change. But I mean, to dare to believe how good he is, is it does blow this mind. Because he's been too good. But to believe the goodness, first John says you have to believe the love. You have to actually believe that he did this. And I'm going to read some of what he did. You know, like I said, it's <laughs> since all have sinned, all are justified and made upright and made upright and right standing with God freely. What's free mean? Exactly. Now, so you got to stop and meditate on this. No charge. I said, God said, here you go. You believe in my son? You're righteous. No charge. All you had to do was believe. But don't I have to live perfectly forever now and never sin again? No. No. It, it was free. You're, you're, you're right with me now. Forever? Yeah. Forever. But, 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 and bring. But, but, but what, if I, what if I do this? I mean, I know. About what? No, you're free. But I kept. No. What an explosion. No, you're, you're free. Well, that's tough because you sit back and go, I don't feel free, and I don't feel I should be free because I know how I stink. I'm quite frank. I mean, I know about where I'm fractured. I know how weak I am in areas. How, how can you say I'm free? And he said, because I, I want to, and I have. I'm God. And actually, that's actually scripture in a moment. He actually says, I did this because I wanted to. And God kind of has an attitude about being God. It's funny, but it's true. And so it's like, but God help us accept it. Anyhow, all are justified and made upright and right standing with God freely and gratuitously by His grace, His unmerited favor through the redemption which was provided in Christ. Okay? Oh, like I said, I don't want to read the whole thing. But it goes on, and let me see where I want to go next. He's, well, okay, verse... 26, 
He said, God did this, verse 26, God did this to, to demonstrate and to prove at the present time in the now season that he himself is righteous and that he justifies and accepts as righteous him who has true faith in Jesus. Right? And again, so you, you got to you. I'm telling you guys, please help yourself. You, you, this is why you read it out loud and you read it slow over and over like a thousand times. God did this that he might justify and accept me as right because of my faith. And um, verse 27, then what becomes of our own pride? In other words, our own boasting. In other words, because of we, what becomes of all of us saying, well, I've done, I'm, I've done good stuff, so that's probably enough. He said, no, that's excluded now. It's banished. The whole, it's ruled out entirely. The whole issue of thinking you're going to be right before God by how right you act is gone. It's been banished. I said it's been banished. It's banished. There's no such thing as living good enough that's going to help God love you more. That aspect has been banished. God doesn't work that way anymore. He changed everything. He changed everything. Everything, because he knew the frailty of the human of the mankind that he made. On what principle was it banished? On the principle of doing good deeds? No, on the principle of faith. This is why we have to teach faith. I mean, really teach faith. Faith is not just knowing Hebrews 11.1. 1. No, I'm talking about something that, again, triggers, and I, I even hesitate to say it triggers an understanding but you believe. And I'm telling you, it's very different when you suddenly, you, you believe God loves me this much. Like right now, um, I shouldn't say this early. I shouldn't maybe say it at all. But you know, the, like the issue with personal, this is my personal life right now. You know, the fact our, my car is working okay now, but I've poured out thousands of pounds over the last two and a half years. And it's just time. You know, that car was given to me on my 60th birthday. It was a great blessing from God. Blew my ever-living mind. And Julie got together a surprise birthday party for me with these friends and people and others and people that have known me over the years. Long story short, they all put in money and what have you and then presented me with the keys to this that BMW X5 out there, which absolutely blew my mind. I am not a car worshiper. I never have. It's a piece of tin. God could care less. And I've never been a worshiper of cars. But anyhow, long story short, <clears throat> but between Jeff and Dez and some of the guys, you know, they started talking to me and said, you know, they were so sad because they heard about I had to put out another 1,200 pounds here. Then a month and a half went by and blah, blah, blah. And it just get to the age, especially like a BMW, as great as they are. You know, when, when, they, when that stuff starts to happen, it's time, you know. If you can, well, I don't have any money to buy a new car. But long story short, <clears throat> They, these guys, our friends here, what I mean, said, but uh, they, it, they spoke and they said, well, you know, you need to step out in faith a bit. So long story short, they said, why don't, Jeff said, why don't you and I go and start test driving some cars? And I said, well, okay. But I, I understand. I got, finally, I, I prayed about it. And I said, okay, I see that. You simply, you know, it's not, it's not the issue of whether or not I have a mon not enough money to buy a car. Just get in forward motion. You know, just, just get in forward motion about something. 
So I'd been looking on, uh, I, I'm a guy that reads reviews, so long story short, I, I do, I read the reviews, I don't care what it is, it's washing machines or cars, I don't care. But anyhow, I, so I, I've been looking, and believe it or not, on this Alfa Romeo, I want another SUV because I'm a big guy and I've been in that thing for so long, it just feels better for me and Julie and I are up and down the motorway all the time and we need something bigger, you know, we got our two jive dogs we have to take. And then, you know, 3,000, sorry, darling, they're not jive dogs, they're wonderful little puppies. <laughs> and bags upon bags that we have to carry back and forth and stuff for the barn. Anyhow, and I, they, they're coming out, this brand new SUV, Alfa Romeo used to have a really bad report, but now they've got these new engineers and stuff. And long story short, they have this thing called a Stelvio that's just coming out, just coming out, not, just came out in October, just basically an SUV the lightest one of them, but they have, this one has this, Ferrari is the one that's worked with it to develop this engine. <laughs> when you watch the YouTube videos of this, it's an SUV, it's an SUV, but the engineer, the, all of the engine and drivetrain has been engineered by Ferrari. Oh my God, this thing, and it's a guy, like you've heard me say it, it's, it's a guy thing about how the sound of an engine, what the sound of an engine is like to a guy, but you know, you know, like this thing. It does something like zero to 60 in like 3.5 seconds, an SUV. I mean, you know, well, I mean, you know, at my age, I'm thinking, because I, you know, way back in the day, I grew up around drag racing. You know, that's what we had. The, one of the major drag racing tracks of all America was just, you know, 27, 20 miles from our house. And we had these guys that built these top fuel dragsters, rails that, you know, 300 miles an hour and a quarter mile, that's kind of quick. You know what I mean? 300 miles an hour. And anyhow, so I grew up around that. I grew up around the guys working on engines and stuff. Our, we're, we're just young kids, 12, 15 years old, messed with all this stuff. But anyhow, it's a long story short. I look at that. I know, God forgive me, I'm taking too much time on this. But anyhow, then, just said, why don't you go, why don't you go see this new Jaguar? And I'm saying, my head's going, this is, you know, you know, let's go see a Jaguar. Let's go see a Porsche. Let's go see another new BMW. Just don't worry about the car. Just go test drive stuff. Be in motion, right? So anyway, I went and I, I went to the Alfa Romeo, sat in the car. It's a great car, nice car, good car. But hmm, whatever. And I went to another one, but I went to this Jag. <laughs> I sat in this Jag. I'd never been in a Jaguar. I mean, I know the Jags are already blah, blah, blah. But long story short, I sat in this Jag and I shut the door. And you know, the doors are perfect. You know, you know, just, and I sat in that seat and I went, and I just felt, wow. This feels like home. I mean, honestly, that's that's the phrase. That came, this just feels like home. Yeah, it was just like. But anyhow, you know, and you look at it, and I look at the price stuff, like my head goes wingy wingy and whatever. But like he, Jeff, bless his heart, he kept, don't worry, don't, don't. It's not about just, we're just test driving some cars. So I drove this F-Pace, the bigger SUV the Jag has, the brand new one, drove it around London for a bit, you know. And, of course, it's just uh, so nice. But, I mean, the leather stitching inside one have you, it is luxury. It is luxury, you know. And I said, wow. But, see, God loves us. And what happened was this. Let me jump to the point. So, I, but like I said, I'm not, see, the thing is, I'm not lusting after a car at all. And this is the difference. This is what has to be the difference 
in any of the areas that we quote unquote want to release faith in. Honestly, you're the only, you know, only a man's own spirit knows his own heart. Only. And I, from with hand on heart, can say I've got no issue at all about lusting for any car, any car, used car, much less a new car. I just don't. That's, that's just not in me. I'm being honest. It's just not in me. But see, what happened is, what's happened just three days ago, I didn't even tell Juliet. Because there's still, no, I didn't, because there's still, a, there's still a few other cars that, you know, we're supposed to go test drive in the next two weeks. But all of a sudden, I was just, I was reading, I don't know what I was, I was reading Ephesians, I think, totally not thinking about cars at all. But I was, when I saw how much, I just kept seeing, I could, you know, how much God actually loves us as his children. And I suddenly heard this. He said, do you think I love you enough to give you a new car? I mean, now, just stop. Do, do you think God loves you enough to give you whatever? Do you? Do, do you think, I mean, to Almighty God who lives outside of time and space, do you, what does the Jaguar mean to him? Absolutely zip. Even like, let's talk about healing, provision, the peace of mind, the lack of confusion. Um, you know, um, honestly, wherever you want to go, you know, people who who really, really need to be married. There's some people that don't, they don't need. See, the thing is you can't lust after being married. You can't lust after anything. But if it is something that you need, if it's something that you need, you're not freaking out about it. You're not lusting after it. You're not waking up, oh, my God, this. You're not obsessed. I have to have this to be fulfilled. I have to have this. Julie and I have counseled many young men and young women that have just, it's like they were in love with the idea of being in love. Do you know what I mean? They're in love with the idea of being married. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. But that, you know. Yeah, but seriously, you know what I mean? And, and. Yeah, I know. I know. I saw you out there. I saw you out there. I didn't want to look at you. I didn't want to look at you. No, but I'm, see, but this is it. We have to be honest with ourselves. You have, you know, without, I hope you don't think I'm being coarse, but God's really dealt with me about being 100% naked, going to prayer, going to my prayer closet naked, naked as the day I was born. He said, you may as well be because I see everything anyhow. But I mean, see, but he's looking into our hearts. What I'm saying, so anyhow, I'm just saying, God said about that. He said, do you, do you think, do you, I could care less about vehicles, cars, houses, stuff. I, I, you know, that's just all stuff. It's actually just stuff. That carries no form of value. Now, you have to hear this. Stuff, stuff it has no value to him. But see, you actually have to catch this. Because actually, the truth is, see, you're afraid of stuff. The stuff you want, you're actually afraid of it because you think you have to have it to give you some value. 
Something about stuff, because we live in a world where everybody venerates, everybody idolizes stuff. I don't care what it is, record contracts, anything, you know, with our creative people being recognized. All that stuff is stuff. <laughs> and to God, see, he's trying to get us to him. But you see, what this book teaches us, if you're just flat out jive honest, is <laughs> the way what he wants you to, he wants to show off how good he is to you. He wants to show you how much I love you, man. I mean, what does it take for you to know that I love you? What does it really take? I love, you know, Billy Joel's songs, one of my, my love song for my wife. I love you just the way you are. That song is my song as far as my love for my wife. But there's a lyric in that song that says, how long will it be before you believe in me the way I believe in you? God believes in you. See, our Father believes and you, we're struggling down here. Oh, God, I'm struggling to have faith. I'm struggling to believe in you. I know I should. I'm trying to believe. I'm trying to believe. I'm trying to believe. But see, that ain't belief. <laughs> That's works. Yeah, yeah. But he just, but the thing that begins to strike you when you actually begin to open the book and read it, he believes in us. And that's, he has faith in me. But what about all my failures? What about all the areas where I'm weak? What about all the areas I still make mistakes? What, 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 what about that? Well, what about that? Do you th and this is the thing to see that really is the mind blowing. It's difficult for my mind and all the, it's really difficult for me still to actually dare to believe what he's about to say here. But what he wanted, because, because to believe, to believe it just racks, just destroys our carnal mind. And it is carnal. Let me, let me just keep reading for a bit. But again, he just said that to me about this jag. He said, do you think, do, do, do you believe, can you, can you believe that I love you so much I could give you a jag in a moment? If, if, I'll give you a jag. I, I don't care. What's it to me? It's a piece of steel. I don't care. I don't care. If you want to believe, you can have it. Yeah, it literally was said, if you want to believe for that, you can have it. But the thing is, see, he's looking for us to get to the place where you get to the place where none of that will ever have me. I mean, I will not get in a new car and do this. You know, like in East Los, we had the, we used to have this joke in Southern California. The guys would get in, you get in the car, you put the seat back as far as you can. You, you know, we drive on, you know, left-hand drive. And you put your elbow out of the side of the car. And you drive. Looking, looking out the window, you know what I mean? Check out my wheels. Check out my wheels, baby. I'm a cooking, you know what I mean? You know, and nobody here understands at all what I'm saying, yeah? Father, forgive them all. But think about that. See, he's trying to get me, regardless, if it's a car, if it's a house, you know, I'd really like for Julie and I to have a bigger house because we want to be able to do more for people. And our house is so small. I mean, you know, it's, a, it's fine. I could live, Julie knows I really could live in a cave because, I, you know, I'm, I come from that. I just don't, I really don't care. But my wife, you know, bless her. I want her blessed. I want her to have so much more. But anyhow, the thing is, he's trying to elevate 
my sight. Listen, he's trying to elevate, elevate your sight. Faith, see, when God first initiated, quote, unquote, the faith message, you have to understand, does he know who we are? Does our almighty God know that we're flesh and blood? That we got all this stuff going on in our mind and our soul because we're in a world where, like I said, to be something means to have something a lot. You know what I mean? In some area or another, you know, and it's all about getting. It's all about getting. It's all about getting. But everything about the kingdom is about giving, right? Well, he's the one that initiated this thing called the kingdom. So see, everything, everything about our Father is giving. There's nothing about God that's taking. And this is really, really awakening in me something fierce. But he said, I, 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 you can have a fleet of Jaguars. He said, as long as they don't have you. It's, that's not an issue with me. But he said, and, and something that Julie and I learned I quoted, we talked a while, while back, and I don't, I don't mind saying, you know, we listened months ago to Jesse DePlanis thing when he made this statement. And, you know, you listen to him. Yeah, but he said, you know, God said ever so clearly, I never, and I've said it here before, but it's really on me now. I've never asked you to pay for anything because everything means nothing to me. Yeah, this is God. He said, all I've ever asked of you on earth is to believe. He said, in my realm, money isn't currency. In my realm, faith. Do you believe? Belief is what gets things done. Faith. Faith. But in the beginning, you see, we were so messed up. I mean, we in general, people, mankind, what the message came in the way the first great preachers began to preach it. And even the one like Brother Hagin, who I learned under the, the, the beginning, whenever like that, he'd never said this. But the way people heard it was, if you follow me, I'll meet your needs. Now, you know, isn't that is truth, right? There's truth in that. But see. What began to happen is that we begin to think we could use the formula of something called faith to get anything we want. And we began to think that faith was about getting what we want. Faith is about getting stuff. When faith was never about getting stuff, but God in his wisdom, he knew that to get us started, <laughs> to kickstart us, it was like a carrot in front of a donkey. You follow me, you know, I'm going to follow this because I'm going to get my needs met. And here we are like donkeys, because there's a carrot in front of us. We're trying to reach this thing that's in front of us because we get our But see, way beyond that, this way so much, when you look over this last four or five decades, you see how God has taken us from that to where suddenly people are not believing him for something. They're believing him because of something. And in other words, this is like I said, we don't worry. But see, so much of even our praise, we praise a lot for what he will do for us. But the difference is that we worship him for who he is, not for what he can do. You hear me? And see, that's when we really discover I'm suddenly loving God. Because it's not about anything. If he never heals me. Really, and I mean, you got that's not sound. You got to really, that has to be, has, you have to mean it. If I never get married, if I never have a dog, if I never get promoted, I mean, if I, if I never have a car, 
for the rest of my life. That does not change in my, my life what you are to me. Now, saying that, like I said, and that being real is, boy, there's sometimes a great distance between those two things. But the thing is, when that attitude actually becomes yours, when you get more and more of that, where it's just about him, for real. See, we say that stuff, but, you know, when you walk out of here tonight, is it still just about him? <laughs> or is it about what you want to do and what you want to happen? Who you want to meet, who you don't want to meet. You know what I'm doing. Just whatever. What, what is it going to take for me to feel good tonight? Well, I'm sorry, but God's worthy of being worshipped on Mondays too. And Tuesdays and Wednesdays. But the thing is, when you begin to get to that place where it really isn't about stuff, stuff starts to come. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. It does. Stuff starts to come. Because it's... It's his rhythm because it's like in Deuteronomy, it says, if you hearken diligently unto all these commandments that I command you this day. Now, listen, all these blessings shall listen. What direction? All my blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Where are blessings supposed to come from? Behind. So if we're living toward, I got to have this. I'm going to have a car. I'm going to have a new house. I'm going to have the right wife. I'm going to have the right husband. I'm going to bless God to have the right this. If I'm living, if all my focus and energy is toward getting, I'm living in reverse. And like a magnet, you don't mean to, but you're put, you know, a magnet. And when you put iron filings, you've seen me do this in a negative, negative end, and you, you get it right up close, it pushes it away. Get up close, pushes it away. That's what we've done for so long. But see, you flip that around and you love God and you begin to suck the blessings to you. Hallelujah. Let me get back to the word now. So look at this. So in, back in Romans 3, when he talks about this righteousness, um, yeah, we were in verse 27. So, you know, what becomes of our pride? But verse 28, Paul said now, he said what we hold on to now, what we understand now is a man is justified and he's made upright by faith totally independent and distinctly apart from good deeds. The observance of the law. Now think what that means, doing right stuff, following the formulas, right? Right? He says, the observance of the law has nothing to do with justification. Nothing. You can't live good enough. None of us will ever live good enough to qualify None of us. It's not about doing good. But now I know what, it, remember, I know what this is all leading to. I know what Romans 4 says. I know what Romans 5 says. And I know that's why Romans 6, 1 says what it says. When Paul says all this stuff and he gets to that place where he says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Surely not. Because when you see what Romans 4 and 5 and, 7 and the rest of the whole book begins to show, what God has done is so overwhelmingly beautiful, so overwhelmingly good beyond the scope of our, our mind to comprehend that the true message of grace, it begins to make you think you can mess up the rest of your life and it's okay. Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Of course not. 
Because, and then he goes on to say, you see, the issue is we, we still forget Romans 2, 4. This is all one. He said, no, no, no. What you're missing is when you are confronted with absolute, with the real deal, goodness, with real goodness, God said, that stuff is what I've designed and ordained to change you. When somebody is so good to you, I said, when somebody is so jive good to you, that it's the last thought in your mind to betray his goodness. And I try to say it different ways, but like I've said, when you know if some if somebody loves you, you know, you don't want to hurt somebody that loves you that much. But see, the thing is, it's okay to hurt somebody if we don't really think they love us that much. This is why so many people have a distance from God, because they still have something hiding in their spirit that is afraid of God. They actually think, oh, oh man, if I keep doing something wrong, if I mess up here, I mean, you know, he's going to smite me. I'm going to get kicked. I'm going to get punished. I'm going to get slapped. And the, the truth is you will never fully, totally give your heart to someone if you feel that there's anything in them that may hurt you. You won't. And see, the thing is, all of us, we didn't know God. Or your heart is considered to be a treasure. We opened our heart to someone and we got it hurt big time. And the pain of brokenness in the heart, the pain of brokenheartedness. That's why, you know, the, one of the first job descriptions of Jesus, I came to heal the brokenhearted. I wonder why. Because he knew everywhere he went, there's going to be brokenhearted. Right? But see, the thing is about a broken heart, if we're honest, when your heart's been broken, that pain is so unique to you. That pain is beyond pain because it's a spirit thing, because heart deals with spirit. When you open your heart, I mean, that when you're younger, you don't know the difference between emotions that are of the flesh and emotions of, that come from heaven. But nevertheless, that thing in there, your heart, you know, your spirit and your heart are close. They're not the same thing. Your heart's a piece of flesh. But your spirit man, you know, that's in there. Long story short, I'm trying to get at this point. That pain is so great and so deep that the next time, like in normal terms, you go to enter into a relationship, whether you know it or not, you will never give yourself fully because you have this, I, I've got to guard myself. I can't afford, I do not want to go I don't want to do anything that will ever cause me to experience that pain again. Right? Am I right? But see, this is why he comes. He said, I'm going to heal every iota of brokenness in you to the point where you can just unashamedly one billion percent. He uses the word, I want you to abandon yourself to me because I will never hurt there's nothing in god to hurt i said there's nothing in him to hurt now the thing is about all this how about the, like i said this we could be i could teach on this for 20 years well i have been teaching on it for 30 years <laughs> but the point is this that's what is supposed to draw us but see we've never god forgives so many of us ministers because we've not portrayed him for who he really is we haven't shown how beautiful he is. We haven't shown how incredible he is, like we should. 
But even when we do, when somebody begins to, like with myself, when people began to tell me how much God loved me, I couldn't really believe that. I'd nod my head and say, yeah, because I could see the text. See, I've got eyes. I've got a brain. I could see the text, and so I knew it was true because, I mean, I knew, you know, I saw I, uh, I, like they say, mental assent. I mentally agreed, yeah, yeah, I can see that's on there. I see, I see it says that. But see, experience hadn't happened. Encounter hadn't happened. <laughs> oh, Father, help me. Okay. The observance of the law has nothing to do with justification. He goes on in the last verse 31. He said, do, do we then by this faith make the law of no effect, overthrow it, make it a dead letter? Certainly not. On the contrary, he's saying that faith in God actually confirms and establishes what the law was intended to do, to draw you near to Christ. The law, and another verse says, the law was our school teacher to bring us to Christ. And that, again, is a whole gigantic study. But then he goes on and starts talking about Abraham, and I'll just read it. Hopefully, God helped me to read it a little quickly so I can get down to the verse I want to. He said, but if so, if this is all true, verse 1 of chapter 4, what shall we say about Abraham, our forefather, humanly speaking? What, what did he find out? How does this affect his position? What, what was gained by him? Or if Abraham was justified, established as just, by acquittal from guilt, by works that he did, then he's got no grounds for boasting. I ain't, no, I'm sorry, then he has grounds for boasting, but not before God. But what does the scripture say? Can you imagine Paul writing this? These people, everything about their culture and their generational life for centuries have been based upon obedience to the law. You have, see, you, you can't comprehend that. We can say it, I can say it to you, but unless it's been generational, generational, gen, this is the only way, this, there is no other way to live. This is the way it is. You've got to obey this. You've got to wash your hands here. You've got to do this here. You've got to do that there. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to do. You've got to do, you've got to do, you've got to do. You've got to do to kind of be recognized as one of his guys. But here God comes along and says, no more doing. That's banished. It's done. And you're left here going, but my muscle memory, <laughs> everything in me, my mental muscle memory, everything in me is trained. To do, 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 do stuff. I have to do stuff. I got to do stuff. I got to do stuff to be, to be good, to be okay, to be seen as all right. But what does the scripture say? Abraham believed in God and it, what? What's it? His belief, right? Abraham believed. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed and it was credited to his account as right standing. Now, I know you've heard this stuff before, but I bet my bottom dollar that a whole lot is not alive in you yet because of what I know it produces. God, see, he said that Abraham believed. He didn't figure it out. He just, I, I believe. I don't understand this. What do you, how, what do you mean? You drag me out here out of my tent to look up in the night sky and you say, I'm, not, I'm 100 years old, haven't had any children. I got a wife who's 95 years old. Her womb is barren. And you're saying, am I hearing you correct? You're telling me that I, to look at the stars of the heavens and that my seed is going to be more than all the stars of the heaven? Now, that would tend to make me say, I don't think so. I'm 100 years old. She's 95 years old. I love her, but we ain't going nowhere with no kids. 
but God. And it says Abraham didn't, like it's going to say here, he didn't try to figure everything out. See, this is the whole, God, help us, man. I, I have a quick mind. I want to figure it out. And it's hard for me not to want to have understanding. Now, don't hear me. You understanding will come. But it's understanding of how that realm works. I've got to get out of my mind. <laughs> you have to get out of your mind, literally. You have to get out of your mind and into the mind of Christ, his mind. It's a whole other dimension. It thinks differently. It sees differently. Oh, my God. He says, so Abraham believed and right standing was credited. It was counted. And, you know, you've heard the illustration so many times, but I still love it. You know, somebody has gone. When you said yes to Jesus Christ, there's a bank account. You know, you got an account. And nothing that you did. It was a gift. He deposited. It just, boom, it's in your account. I said it's in your account, right? You're right with God. Hallelujah. No works. I don't care what you did last week. I don't care what you're going to do next week. If you believe in the blood of Jesus Christ and his power, you're free. You're right. It's okay. See, but God's intention is that that stuff, when the revelation that I get, see, you got to keep saying this part over and over again. His intention is that if you actually see that much goodness, there's nothing in you that wants to fudge. You hear me? There's nothing in you that says, well, then I'll go get drunk tonight. Because God could care less. No, no, God cares. Like I said, this is something you actually, you know, in the Bible school thing, you, you did teach us one topic for nine months. It is a semester teaching. And then let me go, let me keep going, because I, I, I'm this is. This is my first nearing to an end. <laughs> For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed in God, and it, his belief, was credited to his count as righteousness, as right living. Did you hear that? Belief was credited. God said, okay, I'm going to take your belief and say that you live right. See, you don't live right. I said, you don't live right. But I know that. But see, I'm going to take your faith and I'm going to make it like you live right. Do you understand how your mind goes, what? Daddy, how can you do that? I mean, after all, I'm, you know, everything in the world is good and bad, good and bad, and good and bad. He says, I know, but I'm not in the world. He said, if you believe in my son and what his life did, he said, I'm going to credit to your account that you live right. But I don't live right. He said, I know that. But to me, you live right now because you're in Christ. But I don't live right. I know, but he did. So I'm crediting it to you. You live right. You live right. Do you believe my son? Yeah, I do. Then you live right. Okay. <laughs> what happens is, though, when you believe that, you start living right. It's a, that's how it works. He said, and then he goes on to say, he said, oh, verse 4, he said, now to a laborer, his wages are not counted as a favor or as a gift, but an obligation, something owed to him. Verse 5. But now this is the verse. I th I'm going to probably, I'll read all the way down to verse 8, but I'm going to come back to verse 5. But to one who, not working by the law, trusts. Everybody just say trust. One who trusts. And like it says, believes fully in him. In him what? Now, what, this, this statement I want to come back to. Who justifies the ungodly. 
to one who not working by the law trusts, believes fully in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited to him as righteousness, the standing that's acceptable to God. Next verse, thus David congratulates the man and pronounces a blessing on him to whom God credits righteousness apart from works, apart from being good. Verse 7 and 8, blessed, this is what David said, blessed and happy and to be envied are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered up and completely buried. Verse 8, blessed and happy and to be envied is the person of whose sin the Lord will take no account or reckon it against him. Right? And Paul's, see, now I, I'm going to have to stop this morning. I may just continue. I think I really should continue on this line because I, 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 I want to get us to a point that I can't get at right now because it's too deep. It's too important. It's too important. But now I want us to go back, and I'm, I want to finish. Can, I'm gonna, what I'm going to leave you with this morning is some questions. <laughs> Hallelujah. You're going to go out of here probably questioning a lot more than you understand because of where I'm going to leave you because of what it's going to sound like. But let me quote Romans 6, 1 again. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Right? But listen, go back to verse 5. This is what I couldn't get away from this morning. Verse 5, but to one who not working by the law trusts and believes in him. But this is the thing, who justifies the ungodly. Now, I just, I couldn't get, who, now listen, listen. God justifies ungodly people. I said, our God says, okay, I love you, I receive you, and I know that you're ungodly. I know, I know you're ungodly. I mean, I know you're not godly. I know you're ungodly. But I'm doing something beyond your understanding. I love you, and I'm accepting you. In the middle of your ungodliness... I'm accepting you as my son and daughter and I'm accepting you and I'm writing it on the wall that you are 100% right with me, but I'm not living good. I'm ungodly. Oh, I, yeah, that's what's happening in the flesh, but in the spirit, you have to understand I, because of what my son did is you see guys, son, Rod, you don't understand. It's always been part of a plan. I've been working this plan out for centuries and you just happen to live in the age when this plan of mine is in motion, you're right with me. I, I, I no longer care. Oh, you, oh, it's going to make you mad. I no longer worry. Like I said, I'm going to leave you with questions. That's why you're going to have to come back next week and next week and next week. I no longer worry that you're ungodly in areas. Now, I don't like saying that because I know what people are going to think, especially those that are really educated. Seriously, if you have intellect, that upsets you right now. You're going to go out of here, well, you know, that, that can't be right. There's just something wrong about that. There's, you know, you can't just, because otherwise, you know, people can just do anything. That's right. If you don't 
Martin Lloyd-Jones is the guy, you've heard me share about it when I teach him. I should, I'll bring his entire quote here to you maybe next week. You know, the, the pastor that had been in Westminster Chapel, the, one of the most re renowned orators of the gospel, they said, no, you know, the, of, that has ever lived. The last 12 years, the last 12 full years of his ministry, he's never left the book of Romans. That's his, he never left the book of Romans. And he's the one that said, if your preaching of the gospel does not bring with it the possible misunderstanding that you can continue in sin and do anything you want, if it doesn't bring that possibility of understanding, you're failing to preach the gospel. You're not preaching the actual gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I, you didn't hear me. That's profound. He was an ultra-conservative even from a Calvinistic background, which makes it even worse than conservative. <laughs> if you're not preaching the gospel that causes people to go away thinking that they can continue to sin, that they can do anything they want, if you're not preaching something that offers with it that mis misunderstanding, he said, you're not doing your job as a preacher. You're not preaching the truth of Jesus Christ. Our God... I'm going to stop with this and leave with questions. Like I said to some of you, it's going to torment you, but I don't care because it's truth. <laughs> Our God justifies ungodliness. Whoa, 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 whoa. I got to say that. I'm sorry. I got to say that. No, no, not ungodliness. Our God justifies ungodly people. You see, and, and, in other words, it comes back to we have no real comprehension what he actually did, what the body of this person we call our Lord Jesus, Jesus, remember the guy? Remember this thing's kind of supposed to be about this guy named Jesus? He took every, the penalty for every sin that will ever and forever be committed upon his body, his physical body, even his spirit, it said, I, it said Isaiah was prophesied, remember, that he would make his grave with the wicked in his deaths. This is why the, the whole and profound teaching about he literally went to hell. He died spiritually. He died two deaths, Isaiah said, in his deaths, plural. He not only physically died on the cross, his spirit was separated for the first time in all eternity. His spirit was separated from the presence of his father. That's why for the first time in his entire existence, he said something, he said this, rather than saying father, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's why they say all through history, my God is, is the cry of a lost man. Forever he called him father. He was always father. But in that moment on that cross, he experienced something. This is the severity of his love. He went that far. He went that far to suddenly find himself where he, for the first time in life, as it were, confusion went across the mind of the Son of Man and the Son of God. What? what, what well, you've forsaken me, but he'd never forsaken him. He was paying the price for you and for me. every sin, no more works. He nailed 
the handwriting of ordinances, all those laws that said, you got to do this, you got to do this. Remember it says, it is written. he nailed them all to his cross. And it says, you know, and saying that the bill is paid in full. No longer will anyone have to live by a set of rules and regulations forever, for all eternity. And those who believe, all it takes is all you have to do is believe in him. And justification, justification, you are now justified. You are now right with God. And the scripture says in 23 places, and you shall never come up for judgment. The fear of judgment. I said the fear of judgment. Judgment day is coming. They used to preach so much. They still preach. The fear of judgment is taken away because I have all, you and I who have faith in Christ have already been judged in him. He believed in God who justifies the ungodly. Father, I give you thanks for your word. I, I, I don't, I, I have no words to express really what I'm seeing afresh, how deep, how wide your love is and what you've actually done. And like I said before, these people, these wonderful, my mind, Father, still wants to rail and run back to the fact that I surely have to earn this. But you keep saying through your apostles that Jesus earned it for me. Jesus earned it for me. And I'm now a partaker. I just get to be a partaker of an inheritance that you provided that I could never earn. That you actually go so far as you now today call us sons and daughters. You know every. I know I say it before, but it's just coming so much alive. We're still fractured. We're still incredibly imperfect, to say the least. We still blow it. We get angry. We get mad. We get resentful. Whatever it may be, we still have wrong thoughts, tons of wrong thoughts. Our brain goes crazy at times. We totally forget about you. We don't think about Christianity one lick. I mean, it's just gone. We're too busy thinking about other stuff. We're more engaged with people. We're more engaged with stuff, concerts, TV, movies, whatever. Where anything, stuff, I want this, I want that. And um, <laughs> you know about all that stuff. But you, through Christ and through the blood, now you look down on you smile. You're smiling on every one of us right now, saying, I know everything about you. I know everything about you. I know everything. And I'm not going to run away from you ever. I'm never going to leave you. You can't screw up bad enough to make me leave you. You can't screw up bad enough to make me leave you. If you believe on my son, that's enough for me. I don't, I won't accept all the sacrifices, the burnt offerings. I don't. None of the stuff that you try to do to make you feel better. None of that works for me. I've accepted you because of the blood of my son. Because of your faith. Because you've believed. You believed in him. 
that has become enough for me. No longer obedience to the laws and regulations. No, no, no. Just your, your belief is enough for me. Receive that love, he says. Somehow, someway. Receive, receive. It's got to bypass that hunk of meat in your brain, in your ears called a brain. It's got to, because it has to be revealed to your spirit. Does he actually love me this much? Does he love you enough that because you're totally, you could care less about stuff, does he love you enough that he'll, he doesn't care about giving you stuff? But the issue, will you just love him? Can we, can, can we just love him for who he is? And the answer is, yeah. I said, yes, 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 yes. We begin to see who he is. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 